Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I want to encourage you that you would understand the battle that you have been called to, that you would understand the purpose, and that you would know there's more at stake here than whether or not your life has been improved or whether or not you've been comfortable. There are sacrifices that can be made. And I believe the more sacrifices that we make for Him, the more God will use us in the lives of those who are perishing around us. Hebrews chapter 12 is an encouraging passage that reminds us we need to run the race of faith with endurance because there's a greater cause that is bigger than anything we can see with our earthly eyes. God has called us, His children, to be a light in a world that is lost and perishing. We pray you will continue to run strong for Jesus. With Hebrews chapter 12, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson. Father, I want to thank you. Lord, we love your word. We thank you that we don't gather together to learn the wisdom of men or worldly philosophy or to study what philosophies or ideas great men of the past have had. We gather together to know what you said. And we turn to your word that has been given to us and as you said in Psalms, preserved from generation to generation. And every generation has been spoken to by it. And we turn to it today that we might learn how it is that we can run the race that you have given us swiftly. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for every person in this room that they would run the race you've given them swiftly, that we would learn here what the writer of Hebrews was telling them, that they would be able to run that race to the end. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is Running to Win. And I would put some exclamation points at the end of that. You and I, the greatest need that we have as Christians in the world today is to run with endurance. It was the greatest need that these early Hebrew Christians had that the letter of Hebrews was written to. The author of Hebrews said in chapter 10, you have need of endurance. And I think that that is the case for every one of us. We have need of endurance in that race. We have not given our lives to Jesus that we could follow him for five years or 10 years or two months or whatever it would be. But we have given ourselves to him and said, we will follow you the rest of our lives. We will live for you. We will die for you. And we have been called to be the light and the salt to a world that desperately needs that. You have people around you who are lost and perishing Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few there are that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there are that find it. There are many around us that are on their way to destruction and God has chosen to reach out in the world and to make a difference in their lives through, you guys ready for this? Through you. You're the light of the world. You're the one God's chosen. And you might say, I'm inadequate. I'm weak. Why has he chosen me? Because in your weakness, the Bible says he is made strong and he's chosen you. There's a call on your life that you would be that example to a lost and dying world. In other words, folks, there is a cause. There is a reason to run the race that we have been given swiftly. Because if you run that race well, it will make a difference. What we do changes destinies. God wants to reach out and change the destinies of people who perish. Remember David? 
when he had gone to fight the giant. He was just a shepherd at the time. He was a teenage boy at the time. And when he got out there, he said, I'll fight the giant. And his brothers said to him, who'd you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness anyway? And David said, what did I do? Doesn't that just sound like one brother to another brother? Doesn't that sound like it could happen in your home? One brother starts to pick on the other one. What did I do? And then David turned around and said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause for us today? Don't we have a purpose? Haven't we been given the responsibility to shine the light of Jesus in the midst of this generation? When you become a Christian, there's a radical change in your life. There is a dynamic, powerful, radical change. Following Jesus is not a self-help program. Some of you guys came to Christ because your life was in the pits, because you came to the very bottom and you needed help. And in the midst of your darkness and the desperate aspects, you reached out to Jesus. Your life has been improved. Your life has been blessed. God has done things in your life and in your heart. And I'm glad for that. And Jesus works that way. But that's not the reason you were saved. You were saved so you could get into the battle. We are in a war. People are perishing. And we have been told that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual hosts in heavenly places, and that we're to put on our armor. And once we put it on, we stand against the schemes of the enemy. We are in the midst of that battle, and souls hang in the balance. So my encouragement to you today, I had said earlier that I'm not you know, going to give you any deep theological thought today. Some of you say, well, you never do anyway. All right, but I want to encourage you that you would understand the battle that you have been called to, that you would understand the purpose, and that you would know there's more at stake here than whether or not your life has been improved or whether or not you've been comfortable. There are sacrifices that can be made, and I believe the more sacrifices that we make for Him, the more God will use us in the lives of those who are perishing around us, many of those people whom we love. Now, this passage tells us, and let's begin. In fact, let's read this, and then we'll look at the first part of the verse. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God. Well, verse one tells us that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He's drawing the picture of an arena. I don't know if you know this about the ancient world. I'm talking two, three, four hundred years BC and certainly two, three, four hundred years AD during the Roman Empire. They were a sports obsessed world culture. Do you know any other sports-obsessed culture? I'm just wondering if you guys have any concept of that. And everywhere that they had major cities that were built, there were arenas that were built. If you are looking at ruins and you find a half circle of seating, that is always a theater. It was a theater where they did different things at. And sometimes they held events, sports events in theaters. But when you find a complete and enclosed circle, that is an arena. And wherever there were major populations in the ancient world, I'm talking in Europe, all right, there were arenas. And they had something called the Olympiads, much like the Olympics today. Every four years, we have people compete from all around the world representing their nations. So they represented their cities and their towns and their countries, and they traveled to wherever the Olympiad was held every four years. 
it was so important to them that they would stop wars to let the athletes travel to those places. When an athlete would fight, and there was a lot of races, by the way, when an athlete was in a race or when an athlete would fight, they would prepare themselves to be able to win, just like today. There are people today training hard for the next Olympics. There are people today that are making sacrifices that they might be able to run their race swiftly to do what they do. And this passage tells us that if we want to run swiftly, then there's some things we have to do. We have to think today about running the race tomorrow swiftly. Preparation, there was a, in the ancient Olympiads, uh, there was a, an event called the Pancration. Some of you guys are familiar with that, right? The closest thing to the Pancration, well, the Pancration is like professional wrestling, only it's real. <laughs> uh, all right? The Pancration was like UFC fighting. That's the closest thing that we have to it today. You could do anything in the Pancration when you were wrestling. You could break bones, you could snap fingers, you could bite, you could do anything. And today in UFC fighting, you can't bite, which it would make it interesting if you could, wouldn't it? That'd be a nice little add to all the bloodshed. But anyway, um, the only thing you couldn't do in the Pancration was gouge out someone's eyes. Why they made that rule, who knows? Somebody probably had their eye gouged out and they thought that was gross, so they stopped it. But all kinds of other things were allowed, things that would not be allowed today. Well, there was one guy who, who was the winner of the Pancration, not only in the Olympiads, but in the smaller events that he was in for 24 years in a row. The guy was a beast. He was one of the first guys to ever do feats of strength. We have people who travel around today who do feats of strength, right? They tear foam books or they snap bats on their knees or they break chains or they bend you know, metal rods into pretzels and punch ice, right? And do all these kind of feats of strength. Well, Milo, 600 years BC, by the way, would tie a leather strap around his head as tight as he could and then break it with the muscles in his forehead. How do you, how, think about how do you, how, how do you do it? Y'all realize we have muscles in our forehead. What are they called? You know, you've got tries and bys and pecs and lats, right? What are these? I don't know. Forehead muscles. <laughs> he would break the, the leather strap. He would stand on a disc. They would throw a disc as one of their events. He would stand on one of those discs and he would challenge anybody, Pancration fighters as well, to knock him off of the disc. Now, if you can get a good stance, it could be difficult for someone to knock you over. But putting your feet together on a disc that wobbles to be able to, be, to have your stance and not have anybody knock you off, no one ever knocked him off. They ran at him full speed. He was such a beast. They'd run into him and fall down. They weren't able to knock this guy off. He never lost. In his last fight, he fought to a tie. They just fought until they were exhausted. And they realized these guys can't even pick up their hands now. It's just a tie. So they gave him a tie. That was the last fight he was in. Now, here's the way. This is the reason I'm telling you about Milo. All right. Here's how we trained. When he got ready to get into a fight about a year before his fight, he would go out and he would pick out a calf, a baby cow, and he would pick it up. I pick things up and put them down. I pick things up and put them down. So he would just pick this calf up. And then every day he would pick that calf up until it was a bull. Now, how big's a bull? I don't know. It depends on the kind of bull, right? There's some five, 600 pounds. Some bulls can get to be 2,000 pounds. Now, I don't know how big the bull was that he picked up, but this guy was impressive. Could you imagine being the bull? Oh, there comes that guy again. 
right? Maybe turn, you know, that's it. I'm coming after you, right? But he would reach down and pick it up as a bull because that bull gained weight every day. Now, I don't know how much weight uh, when a calf is growing into a bull, how much weight they gain every day, but it's got to be significant. And I don't know that he would have been able to pick that bull up had he done it right away, but doing it every day, he was able to build up the strength to do it. And if you're going to run the race swiftly, it takes some commitment to time. It says, you know what? I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to prioritize my life. I'm going to learn the word. I'm going to be a part of the family of God and I'm going to grow. And soon you'll be able to run the race swiftly and you run the race forever until he comes and gets us. The Bible says that some of us aren't going to die. There's a mystery that some of us are going to be changed in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. But for the rest of us, and who knows, maybe that's our generation. Maybe that'll be us. Maybe it'll be some of us. I don't know. But whatever the case, I want to see us run the race effectively. And if you're going to run it to the end, then you're going to have to prepare for it. So he gives us three things to do to run a race with endurance. If you're taking notes, here they are. Number one, lay aside every weight. Number two, remove the sin which so easily entangles you. Number three, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's start with number one. Look at verse one again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. He begins not with sin. He doesn't say, listen, if you're going to run this race swiftly, if you're going to run this race effectively, then you got to get rid of sin. He's going to go there. But he says, the first thing you've got to do is get rid of the weights. Anybody who is serious about competing in the Olympics makes lifestyle changes if they want to win the medal. If they want to compete, then they change their lifestyle because of the goal of what they want to do. The Bible says that we compete not for something that perishes, but we compete for that which is eternal. So if they're willing to make changes in their lives for the sake of winning a medal or a Super Bowl ring or whatever, how much more should we be willing to say, okay, Lord, what do I need to do to make sure that I run this race swiftly? When we think of the Olympics, you know, in the sprints, which are the ones that I like to watch. I don't necessarily like to watch the longer races because you just watch them run around and around and around until the end, right? Then they make their move. So they're just kind of pacing themselves until they get to the end of the race. It's good. I'm glad they're there. I just don't like to watch them, all right? But I love to watch the sprints. I love to watch the qualifying events and I love to watch the sprints. So when they get out there and now in the 80s, they used to wear little bitty shorts, right? Little bitty 80 shorts and they had the little bitty tank tops that were on. Any of you guys here, runners? This is the interactive time. Anybody here? <laughs> All right. How light are your shoes, right? I picked up some runner shoes the other day and they're like made out of marshmallows. I don't know what they make them out of. I really don't. They're like incredibly light because you want all the weight off of you. And you think about your feet. If you're wearing heavy shoes and you're going to run, you know, five miles, man, you're going to get fatigued because there's weight on that. And so when these runners get out, man, they're just wearing, now they wear the longer shorts, right? But they're all skin tight and they don't walk out with anything heavy. I don't know that the rules don't say that. What if we were watching the Olympics next time an American came out and he had a fur coat on <laughs> and combat boots and got all down in it. And now I don't know, there's no rule that says you can't wear a fur coat when you run the race or you can't wear combat boots when you run it, but people don't do it. Why don't they do it? Because it would be stupid. 
because they would know that you can't win a race with a fur coat on in the Olympics or with the combat boots or with the refrigerator on your back or whatever else there might be that may distract you. I don't know why I said refrigerator, by the way. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that means something to somebody here. I don't know, but I don't know why I said it. But anyway, what kind of weights might there be that hold you back? When I was a youth pastor in Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque, I was a lay pastor which means I wasn't on staff, I wasn't getting paid. I had a business that I ran, an auto upholstery business, and I was the youth pastor. I had, because I had a business, I had a small amount of time to prepare the studies for the kids. There were a couple of times that I gave the studies and I just felt like that was really awful. There's nothing worse than being in a study that somebody hasn't prepared for. And there might be some worse things. All right, getting your fingernails pulled out might be worse than sitting in a study somebody hasn't prepared for. But have you ever been in a study and you know, obviously, this guy hasn't prepared what he's going to say because he's like just kind of random, you know, kind of randomly going on. Prayer is good. Prayer, prayer is a good thing. We need to pray. Pray. Prayer is good. It's good to pray. And he does that for like 45 minutes, right? Well, I'd give the studies and then I'd feel like, Lord, I just didn't give what I was supposed to to these kids. And um, I decided to get rid of the TV. I would come home from work, I would eat dinner, and then I only had a couple of hours to put together a study a couple nights a week. So I had a total of like four hours to get a study together. But I got addicted to a television show. You guys are looking at me like that's never happened to you. <laughs> I know it's happened to you. It wasn't a bad show, all right? It was called White Shadow. Any of you guys remember that back in the 80s, all right? So I just wanted to watch it every night. So when I should get up after dinner and go study, I'd turn on the TV. Well, I told my wife finally, I need to get rid of the TV. She said, yeah, let's get rid of it. She always wanted to get rid of it. Now we gave it to her sister. We did get it back later, okay? <laughs> I told this story one time and somebody said, Pastor Robert doesn't have a TV in his house. Yes, I do. Uh, but we got rid of it and it helped because I didn't have the discipline to be able to shut it off. I needed to go to the, to the extreme of getting rid of the television. Now that might be the case for some here. Maybe television has become a distraction to you. People will say to me from time to time, I don't have time to pray. Really? You don't have time to pray? Is it really that you don't have time to pray or is it a priority issue that is set up? Now, the interesting thing is about two weeks after I got rid of the TV, somebody asked me, did you see the show on last night? And I said, no, I didn't see it. I, I don't have a TV. I'm a Christian. Isn't it funny that it's by my weakness that I, it was because of my own weakness I got rid of the TV, but it became a thing of pride for me. They might not have had any problems having a TV in their house. They might have been doing everything they were supposed to do. See, that became a weight to me. And if I wanted to run that race God had given me swiftly, then I needed to give that up. One of our assistant pastors here at the church, in fact, our very first assistant pastor was a guy by the name of Sam Holloway. I saw Sam at a service just a, a little while ago. He's retired now. He lives up in Camp Verde. I was 25 when we started the church here, just a kid. I was 25. I looked 12. Okay, not even kidding. Um, people would come to the church and go, we really liked your teaching. We really liked the music, but you're just too young. I don't have that said to me anymore, by the way. <laughs> kind of sad. But Sam was older. He was in his 50s, which when I was 25 seemed like a whole lot older than it seems right now, okay? And uh, Sam was also involved in the Navigators. Any of you guys who know Sam, you know that he was very involved with the Navigators. So he was the assistant pastor at our church, and he was also involved with, with the Navigators. And um, I'd gone fishing one time, and I asked Sam, hey, you want to go fishing with us? And Sam said, I gave it up. He had given it up because it was taking his time. And he felt as something that he needed to do, not because God, not because it was demanded of him to do it, 
but as a form of sacrifice to God so that he could take the gospel and make it a higher priority, he gave it up. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about sin. It's not sin to go fishing. It's not sin to watch White Shadow on TV. It might be sin to watch something else on TV, but not the White Shadow on TV. But there might be something in your life that you need to lay aside. I was distracted in my faith by a fish tank. I built a fish tank in my house. I got a little beta, you know, fighting fish, and I would just watch it. Little chest, you know, pirate's chest bubbling, blah, 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 little fish. You know, if you put your hand up with those fish, the betas, you know what I'm talking about? It makes a reflection, the puff up. Watch that fish puff up. The real distraction came when I decided, I'm a youth pastor at Calvary in Albuquerque. I've got my own business and I decide that I'm gonna raise betas and sell them, that I'm gonna breed them. So I buy a book on breeding betas. I get them, I put them together. They breed, they have the babies. And when I first notice them, you're supposed to watch the tank several times a day when the babies come along because mom and dad eat them. They go lunch, they go after them. So all of a sudden I look and there's hundreds of these little babies in there and mom and dad are eating them. I got to get them out of there. And I finally get the mom and dad out without killing too many of the babies, by the way. And there's hundreds of these things. And when they get to a certain age, then you got to get them out of the tank. So all around our house were these little bitty plastic jars of betas. They were on windowsills. They were on the fireplace mantle. They were on our coffee uh, table that was out in front. They were everywhere. Now, here I am, the youth pastor. I got my own business, and I'm like, <laughs> feeding hundreds of betas. And then on top of that, when they get to the point where you can tell the males from the females, the males start developing color. And so it's like really cool. And you look, there's a red one, and there's a purple one, and there's a purple one with red tips, and there's a red one with pepper, and that one's ugly. And I, <laughs> so I'm all distracted. And true story, I finally go to the pet shop to sell them, and the guy says, I don't want hundreds of betas. Where am I going to? I didn't think it through. I didn't, have, I didn't have a marketing idea, all right? I didn't think it through. On top of that, he said, I can't even buy them from you because you got to be licensed. You just can't raise betas and sell them. That's all controlled. So now I had hundreds of betas. What do you do with hundreds of betas? No, I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. It's just a joke, all right? Some of you guys are immediately angry at me. You flushed hundreds of betas down the toilet. No, I didn't. He took them. The, the pet shop said, I can't buy them from you, but you can give them to me. <laughs> so I brought all of them down, carried them in two at a time. There you go. There you go. There you go. And afterwards, my wife says to me, what have you learned from this? <laughs> well, one of the things that I learned is that I can easily get distracted into something Hobbies can do it, and hobbies are not bad. Fellas, I know something about you. I know you've got a hobby, and I know that you spend more than your wife knows on your hobby, all right? Some of you guys are like, you're not supposed to say things like that. That's a man pack. You're not supposed to say it. I'm supposed to tell our wives things like that. Here's the truth, and I have hobbies. I'm not saying we don't have them, okay? I'm just saying that we evaluate our lives. And if there's something that's keeping you from running, if you're wearing a fur coat, if you've got combat boots on, if your life is cluttered with too many things, then get rid of what you've got to get rid of so that you can run the race for Jesus swiftly and effectively. The second thing he says is the sin which so easily ensnares us. That's the thing about sin. You think you can control it, but sin controls you. I had said that when you give your life to Christ, when you're born again, there's a dynamic change that takes place. One of those dynamic changes is that you don't want to sin anymore. You want to be obedient to him. 
Now, there are strongholds and there are struggles, and I'm not saying that a Christian never has struggles, and I'm certainly not saying that a Christian doesn't sin. I'm saying that we have forgiveness and we have grace, but that we have a different heart because we've been touched by the Savior, because He has drawn us to Himself. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.